Frank, 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 Frank. Now, I want to begin this podcast with something a little bit different, which is we normally do a Patreon bonus episode. Shout out to our Patreons. Uh, and and we actually usually read comments. But in, in the last Patreon that none of you can listen to, sorry, unless you become <laughs> a patron, I thought that it would be really cool if Frank was to start a newsletter. Maybe you said you wanted to start a newsletter. And we actually got comments. We never get comments on anything we do. And I implore everybody, we actually do get some comments on the website. We read those and you can email us, uh, mergeconflict.fm. But everyone wants to see a newsletter. So I want everyone to implore Frank oh, to no. have a newsletter. Because I think you would you would say it's about your stories of your journey. Or no, of, of, uh, of, of what was it that you were going to do, like history or whatever? Oh, we had uh, the, the terrible Bronze Age. But I think we did a mashup with another topic. Um, that's, I, oh my gosh, no. Did anyone actually write in? Are you gaslighting yeah. me right no, now? No, no, no. Like literally, literally multiple people on our Patreon page said that you should start this bronze, bronze age newsletter. So I want to implore our hundreds of thousands of listeners, which there are not, <laughs> but there, there are plenty of you. If you want to see a weekly or monthly, whatever the cadence is, tell Frank on Twitter. There, if you go and there's a Twitter link in our show notes, you can click on that or you can go to our whatever page, go wherever you can want spam frank to start a new it doesn't even cost them anything twitter has a free service that i use get, get review you a new bronze age newsletter so if everyone wants that tell frank what else is he doing he's not even doing it you might as well do it frank what are you like taking photos and making 3d renderings of shoes or something you got time I mean, literally you got time i've seen your twitter feed frank <laughs> I mean, I'm going to have to fit it in between waking up, staring at a wall for, what, 16 hours is what humans do, and then going to sleep again? I guess. I guess I could squeeze it into that schedule. Um, Nothing would make me happier than to write one of those, but I don't don't think I could do it. Ah! Okay, but I appreciate all the comments, everyone. That is very lovely of you to say, and I'll consider it. And then I'll sound like a moron in my own newsletter. Why did I pick that topic? Because I love that topic. That's why. <laughs> That's why people do newsletters about stuff, just like my newsletter. I just <laughs> talk about coffee and and what I talked to WWDC. Um, you know, I, I went I, to your I went to your Twitter feed, and w- there was a shoe in three mm-hmm. dimensions, and I don't. There was no bottom to the shoe, Frank. So I was a little disappointed. <sighs> but there was yeah. a shoe on your Twitter page. There was indeed a shoe. I was very proud of that shoe because that shoe was the culmination of me installing two different operating systems to get working that shoe. Um, What that was, was we talked about WWDC last week and Apple added a photogrammetry API to macOS, not to iOS. And I'm very proud of myself for pronouncing photogrammetry correctly right there because wow what a mouthful of a word if you are unfamiliar with that word it is the wonderful technique of reconstructing 3d models from a bunch of 2d pictures it's not the newest tech out there but it's baked into the operating system and i think that that's kind of amazing because this technology it has a lot of applications and I thought we could spend maybe an episode talking about it because I'm excited. I do believe it's one of the coolest. There's a, there's a few cool demos that they did. And the one first one was, I think the, the app 
unity thingy where the, like it went across devices and, and mm. drug and drop a thing, but it's not really a developer thing. Right. And this one though is a developer yeah. thing that you can use. I thought it was probably the second coolest demo that was out there because how they use this. So, so here's the real world is imagine you are a, or you are somebody that is building, uh, an application to help you place a monitor and, and your set up your office, <laughs> you can scan 3d objects in real time and you can put them into the application. You could place them in an augmented reality space or imagine your, they, they were like Wayfair, right? They could literally Wayfair could, could scan yeah. in every single item and you could get a real, not like a, a faux three-dimensional thing, but a real three-dimensional, you know, object inside yeah. of the app and you could place it and you could really do real stuff even more real than before right so the wonderful promise of photogrammetry is that mere humans that don't want to spend days and weeks and months inside a cad software uh can create 3d objects uh and they're good objects they're texture mapped to the point where yeah, I think really all storefronts should have 3D objects in them now because I'm pretty tired of the five pictures from five random angles. I really want a freeform model that I can just rotate around in my browser. Oddly enough, um, golly, I'm blanking on the name. There's a very famous hardware supplier out there, and they have this wonderful online store. I think it's called Masters, and someone's screaming into their podcast player right now, and I apologize. <laughs> uh, they have one of the best web stores, and it's one of the best because they actually have a 3D model of everything that they sell. And that's good for them, uh, mostly because they're dealing with suppliers, and the suppliers can uh, pay to have artists model things for them. But it's not something any mom and pop shop can do. You go out there, you make a new shirt, you take a few pictures of that shirt, and you sell it on Etsy. Well, what if you could put that shirt on a dummy, walk around it a few times, take about 50 pictures of it, and put a really nice 3D model onto your uh, web page, your app, your VR experience, your AR experience. I don't know, man. And it's, I, I really hope that all storefronts have 3D models from now on. Yeah, you know, I, I envision right now, I think of Unity as a good example. Like Unity yeah. has this whole asset gallery and there's other things that have asset galleries. Imagine you're a game developer. Imagine that right now, how people are creating these objects is that they literally have to create them in these tools. And this may have Sherlocked every single graphical designer in the world by creating these three different, but you know, imagine, I mean, I'm just kidding. There, there's always a need cause there's not everything is real. Right. But imagine you're out there and you're like, Oh, I need to, I need to create a bunch of shoes for my, my characters. Well, well, I just go and I go to the store and I just texture map <laughs> a bunch of shoes. I don't have to pay for anything or imagine how big the asset galleries could incorporate this into, um, into into their systems where now anything that exists in in the in the real world can be mapped into a three-dimensional object that you could place in games and this and that and you could really have some really fun stuff especially like putting in easter eggs of really nifty things so everything physical becomes digital instantly yeah and you mentioned unreal did you or uh, you mentioned unity did you see that unreal 5 is out yes 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 
Unreal 5 has this amazing feature where it, it adaptively downsamples all the geometry and upsamples. I don't think it ever upsamples. It downsamples the geometry so that artists can basically throw in as many triangles as they want. And finally, this has been a promise since the 90s. Game engines have been trying to do this. It just hasn't been working. Um, the game engine will adapt itself and render just enough triangles to give a pretty much perfect image it's like down to one triangle per pixel basically but at the same time that's still far fewer triangles than ever used to be there anyway all that's to say is geometry is becoming free (laughs) in the artist world and so we need to get to scanning everything in this universe so yeah i started with my shoe because i mean what are you going to start with i thought about it and like i had a million little cute apple products i should have started with but for some reason i thought what's a little object and why not my beloved shoe? I actually did have the wonderful thought of, wouldn't it be fun if I could 3D print my shoe? But then I found out my 3D printer isn't big enough. Wah, wah, wah. But I still really like the idea of being able to scan something and then print it. I don't know why. I actually don't have any real use for that. Just the engineer in me absolutely adores it. Now, on the scanning, uh, I've been in your apartment. Okay. Yeah. And mm. uh, let's just say. Lots of room. It, one, not a lot of room. Two, let's just say it isn't the, it's not like a studio where every hmm. wall and floor is white and it's on a podium. Okay. Let's just say it's not uh, free of all dust particles, if you will. Huh. huh. Um, Interesting. You live there. People live there. But I, you know, I, a place where I live is not, not spotless. Um, so the question is, is, is how did that impact the scanning process? Cause I, I, I saw the demos they did and it was in this void of non real yeah. life. It affects it hugely. Of course oh. it affects it hugely. <laughs> uh, in fact, I got a little bit lucky with that shoe because I tried to scan a few other things afterwards and it wasn't going that well. Hmm. But the problem was the the process is quite a bit manual right now. Apple released two samples out there, and you can find them on their developer pages. One sample is how to capture images, which isn't really rocket science. We've all built camera apps at this point. We know how to capture images. But there are recommendations when you're doing photography for this kind of stuff. One of the big ones is don't change the focal length of your camera. Gosh, darn it. This algorithm's already trying to figure out enough things. So like no zooming, none of that kind of stuff uh, really should be allowed. So uh, you use this app and it it follows a few of those rules. Then this app doesn't really have a great way to get files off of it. So you got to plug it into a computer, use the iTunes file transfer, drag the files over. And then they have another sample app that you can compile up and run. So basically that whole process is ridiculous and too long. So I started writing an app to try to help me along there. But it really wasn't until I had my own app that I started scanning a bunch of things and getting a better feel for what it's good at and what it's bad at. So this absolutely did not Sherlock any artists out there (laughs) um, because the models it produces, I think are quite excellent and are definitely state of the art. They are not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but for, you know, the gobs and gobs and gobs of background scenery in a modern video game or 
if Apple has an AR experience, uh, it's perfectly fine for that. Uh, more, more about the camera setup, but I've been talking too long. No, okay. So here's a here's a realistic use case that I want to know if it is practical or not for this technology. I look at an application like iCircuit 3D, okay, where you have recreated three dimensional versions of a battery, of circuit boards, of circuits, of little lights. Would something like this? have helped you in any way? Like, would it have sped up your development? Or do you think that those models in your use case wouldn't have been helpful at all? Oh, it's it's such a great question, because I think that's why I'm so interested in this stuff is because I spent two years modeling things, you know? Yeah. I'm, yeah. I don't think it would have helped. This is something I kept running into with electronics are a lot of the, like, default stuff is not set up for that scale so a small resistor is actually pretty darn small you know yeah. it's size of your fingernail in length or your pinky you know your your smallest fi- smallest fingernail you've got um and there is an aesthetic difference that comes out when i hand modeled all mine i was going for a weird blend between realistic and cartoonish i know those sound like two different ends of the spectrum but you can do cartoonish cartoonish realistic realistic or you can do cartoonish realistic and that's Mm. the one i was going for and if i brought in a bunch of these hand scan things they would have a um a much different aesthetic feel to it so if i did do that I would have to do the entire app that way. Otherwise, things would feel really out of place. My perfectly mathematically correct 3D models versus this thing recorded in a dusty apartment full of carpet (laughs) and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Yeah, Uh, because that noise makes a difference in the end. Uh, You are getting back slightly noisy textures with a little bit of light information baked into it, even though it shouldn't be ideally for a video game. You don't want any light information baked in. But it's there, and that would come up in the renderings and things like that. Got it. That makes uh, quite a lot of sense because I, I did notice that about your application. Like the battery is not, it's realistic, but it's not photorealistic. Yeah. I I want I didn't want it to look cartoonish. I wanted it to look realistic, but I, I knew I couldn't get to 100% photo. So if you can't do 100%, you go for a different direction. And that's what I did. That's where the cartoonish part comes in. So what are ideal conditions? Well, uh, you really do want uh, a museum room. (laughs) You want want your, yeah, you want to live in Johnny Ives' little white void. Um, That would be ideal. So what I found, I I tried uh, shooting on beige fluffy carpeting, (laughs) and that mostly works. Uh, The hardest part is getting things well lit. And when because everything is actually photography based, it is using depth maps. And I'd like to talk about that in a little bit. But it is this is predominantly a photography based algorithm. It's really just looking at the pixels in the 2D images, which means if you have a black surface that absorbs a bunch of light, guess what? It has a really hard time figuring out what that surface is. So the things that are it are, is best at are objects that are naturally diffuse themselves 
taken in a room that has a very simple background. It can handle some background, but if you were a store and you were, or if you were using this for an app where you're actually devoting some time to it, you would just nestle out a little corner of your apartment or your house and just put up clear white paper there, put clear white paper on the floor. And you don't exactly need a pedestal, though a pedestal would certainly help. Um, but you could, you can certainly create uh, a good enough environment for this thing, I think, honestly, pretty easily. Got it. That, that makes, you know, I, I've seen those, you know, a lot of people like on eBay, they'll just take a, a bunch of like a, a white, you know, board, you know, and it, mm-hmm. it kind of slopes yeah. up and they just kind of place it there or whatever. It seems as though you could, you could definitely do a faux, uh, version of this. Well, I want to know a little bit more about what you're thinking about this technology, where you're at so far and what's next, at least for Frank Kruger in this technology, where you think this technology will go, but let's take a break and thank our amazing sponsor this week sync fusion listen you know sync fusion we talk about them all the time on the podcast now they give you everything that you need to build beautiful lovely web desktop and mobile applications for just about every single ui framework out there so whether you're building an application with blazor or xamarin or uwp or asp.net core or react view flutter wpf when ui you name it, they got you covered. They have hundreds of just beautiful, stunning controls and charts and graphs and list views and data grids and everything super optimized per platform. Companies around the globe trusting Fusion to help their applications be even better. And they do awesome things too, such as have PDF and Excel and Word integration too. So you can seamlessly integrate those into your application. I use Syncfusion myself. Uh, for example, inside of Island Tracker, I use all sorts of SyncFusion UI. In fact, they did a whole case study on me. Go to the SyncFusion blog and check that out. But go to SyncFusion.com slash MergeConflict to learn about all of the wonderful controls that they have for your application. Thanks to SyncFusion for sponsoring this week's pod. Thank you, SyncFusion. I love having reliable uh, advertisements on our podcast. <laughs> yeah, we have... Uh, I They've been with sponsorship us. just because we recorded a Patreon previously. That's why I was searching for the word there. <laughs> They've been with us for a long, long time. So we appreciate yeah. Syncfusion and all of you listeners. Fantastic. So, you know, a lot of things did get Sherlocked with this API mm-hmm. coming out. Do you know the very first place I ever did photogrammetry? I do. Oh, no. Um, you made a bus app one time. Oh, that would have been great. Oh, if I had, oh, I over obsessed on that map way too much. I'm into mapping, everyone. I don't know if you know that about me. I love maps. Um, And I spent maybe two years of my life not making money writing mapping software. (laughs) Don't ever do that. But that would have been great, James. Oh, you just gave me a bunch of ideas. But no, uh, it has actually related to that. I got into drone photogrammetry so you take a drone you point its camera down and you have it fly in a grid over an area and then you get a million pictures back home and you clickety click in a magical piece of software and out comes like a google maps or you know an apple maps 3d map i don't know it's really you know a giant model of the area that you recorded but it's all you it's a 3d map also and i got really into stuff with that 
Have you heard it? You must have seen some of that. It's so cool. I, I, you know, I have seen and heard of people flying drones over fields, you know, like farm fields yes. and mapping them. That's the use case I am rough. Is it similar? Is it different? Is it, is it kind of like that or no? hundred percent. It's that it is that field. So it's funny because when I did it, there was not much software out there to do this. And this is where I'm getting back to the Sherlocking part, mm. but there was one big software out there and they had a good free version. So I used their free version for a little bit, but it was interesting to see how much that software was set up uh, for the agricultural industry. Specifically, these drones were looking for uh, insect um, and, and, infections i don't know you know when the insects are on the plants mm, and yes. they're looking for uh disease infections both kinds external infections and internal infections uh so they're basically just looking for the crops to not be green i think it's actually kind of funny uh the software was pretty advanced from the like you know use some drones to fly around and map all this stuff but the way that you detected if a crop was healthy or not you gave it these different levels of green <laughs> and i thought that was a little bit silly because like we could have a neural network figure that out a lot better these days than having someone calibrate to green but uh most definitely that's where these custom maps have been used the most but they're coming up in other places like hollywood is doing photo scans of cities so that they can do cgi replacements mm. i would love it for a bus app i've always wanted to make grand theft seattle and i don't want to actually model all of seattle so it'd be great if i could just fly my drone over it and <laughs> get a model of seattle uh, fun things like that so uh that software was very expensive and i never wanted to pay for it but there was an open source version of it that was really hard to compile and get running and this is years ago so hope maybe it's improved uh and it was just it was just a little too hard to use, and the quality wasn't that great in the end compared to the commercial version. So after this Apple announcement, I of course dug through all the documentation that does not exist for this API. But in one of their presentations, or maybe in like the comments for one of the files, they said something like, This can also stitch together drone photos. And I was like, mm. I don't believe you. And I still don't fully believe them. So that is one of the last things I have to find out if this supports it. But if this can also do drone photos, then game's over. You got Sherlocked. And I feel bad for all those companies, but they did have a good run. And I'm so excited to have this technology. Yeah, that seems super neat because it would really unlock a lot of potentials of commercial, even more commercial use cases for drones in a mass, uh, in a mass way. You know, one thing that I, I started to note when we were looking for houses a while ago is you would see people do drone shots or a drone video of a house. But if you think of house, you think of Redfin or Zillow. Imagine mapping in three dimensions mm -hmm. an entire house. You get a, you could get the 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 idea of the scale of it, the rotation, like what every little nook and cranny and angle gives you in these. And you can even do that from a top down, the height, you know, different dimensions, the depth as as things go down. Because the thing with uh, th this may never happen, but I could imagine it doing that. And imagine you then map the inside of the house and you place items inside of the house. So when you go to buy a house 
you can see if all of your, because what you could then do, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Oh, Redfin, get on this. <laughs> what you do is you map all the items in your house. Like here's the couch, the TV, and, and you place your things. Instead of placing generic things, you place your things. And you could be like, here is what the house would look like. And then you would have a whole program that would automate this thing and you just drop it down. This is amazing. Um, of course, this would this would be a lot of work for one person to go through. But if you did want to, <laughs> you know, as this technology gets faster and you can just take a photo of something and it maps it. But imagine the drone footage of the house combined with the 3D aspect of it. And then like you're, you're 3D mapping the plot that you're on and the trees. And imagine then you could say, okay, well, well, where does the sun hit? And then I can see like, what if I placed a solar panel here? And then does the tree get in the way? Or like, does it, you know, broad? Because you know, uh, uh, those photos that they take in Redfin or Zillow or things like that, the, the photographers, they do them at all weird angles and they add weird <laughs> filters on it. It's not real. I want the real thing. And I think that'd be kind of cool is, Give me the three-dimensional house, top down and the plot, and I'm doing a bunch of stuff. That'd be neat. Yeah, it, it's really interesting because they're both completely valid techniques for accomplishing the same thing. So like those virtual 3D tours of houses. I kind of love them because you're on this weird path <laughs> roller coaster yeah. going through a house that was maybe or maybe not cleaned up before the photographer came through. I kind of love all that stuff. But I think we can all agree there are times where, like you said, they they took it at a weird angle. They just don't have the angle that you want, or you just want to freely move around, or maybe you want aliens to attack, and you feel you want to get the feeling for you know what it's like to defend that house if aliens are attacking, that kind of stuff, or just getting yeah different perspectives of outside the yard. It's um, what they're doing is kind of similar to the old photo synth technique where you just layer a bunch of photos onto the screen. There's obviously isn't nearly as advanced as that. You're just on that little walk through the house. But those are the two kind of competing technologies is photo synth where you layer a million photos and create the impression of 3D. Or do you actually go through the terrible effort, which is honestly probably more effort than maybe it's even worse sometimes to create this 3d model that can be rendered on a gpu that's made up of triangles mm -hmm. it's just how computers have developed that that is our way of presenting the 3d world whereas layering images on top of each other is not a very hardware efficient way to do it it's not a very memory efficient way to do it so we don't like it Plus, in the end, um, all those photo stacking techniques, they can't let you 3D print the house in the end. You know, mm. I, I would, I've been meaning to do this forever, do some little drone passes over my parents' house and 3D print them a cute little house, yeah. Yeah, you yeah. know, just as a gift. You know, it's, this isn't earth changing or anything like that i just i love personalized gifts and things like that so i've always wanted to give those kinds of things but never had really had the software for it so i'm really hoping that this works out so i can start giving everyone these terribly 3d printed gifts <laughs> yeah you know that is the 3d printing part i know you mentioned it earlier but that is something that is fascinating because you could buy something or you know, buy a part and then you could map it and then you don't have to recreate it in a in a 3d piece of software and ideally it's to scale and it's pixel perfect if it has the depth map and all this stuff and you could easily print replacement parts or replacement anything and not have to trial and error everything 
uh, with people building things manually. I think the house thing is is really cool, actually. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and there's all different sorts of use cases for that. But I also think that you could do that with, you know, people could do this a lot with manufactured homes where there's a big plot of land, you want to put a house down, you want to do this thing. And, mm. you know, I, I've been on a lot of websites too. Uh, we've been looking at like sheds, a shed builder. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And you have oh. these... Bu- Shedbuilder.com. I love I love it when our episodes turn into app pitches. So shed shedbuilder.com. Okay. Right now today there are all these really terrible low poly count sheds. But imagine like they, they built the sheds. Yeah. You, you do the sheds and then you got a 3D shed and then you can you could I don't I'm just saying someone buy that I, domain name and that'll be great. So I'm not quite into sheds yet at this point in my life, but I'm still kind of in love with my own car. So today I was going to do this. I didn't do it, but I I, I wanted to report on this podcast that I had done it, but I hadn't. But I just want to go to get a 3D scan of my car. Like who doesn't want a 3D scan of their car? Then I can 3D print a little version of it and play with it on the ground. I don't know. Silly stuff. It's all silly stuff, but it'll be fun. It'll be fun to have my little car. Now, there are more downsides. Um, you mentioned my shoe did not have a bottom to it. Mm-hmm. It turns out 3D printers hate that. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you cannot print that model. And uh, Apple's algorithm was definitely tuned for the media world, where this is a game asset. If it's missing a little piece, you rotate it. And then the player can't see that piece, you know, it's all movie tricks and mirrors and pixie dust and all that kind of stuff. But for 3D printing, you need a real solid model. And so I was when I was. uh, So my software, I I took Apple's demo, put a UI on top of it because everything should have a UI. I was like, this is pretty good, but I was still frustrated that I couldn't 3D print it. So then I looked into algorithms for turning arbitrary meshes models into solid objects so even if it's missing triangles it'll still be 3d printable Mm. and that was great (laughs) it took me forever to find an algorithm out there it turns out this is not a solved problem it's funny because i feel like 3d graphics has been around forever you know since at least the 70s uh, but we still have a lot of fundamentally unsolved problems. And one of those is how do you guarantee that a mesh is solid? There are a million algorithms to do it, varying levels of quality. But I was able to apply one of them so that even if the Apple algorithm did not uh, output a perfectly watertight model, as they say in the 3D printing world, you can still run it through another algorithm and get it 3D printable. So that would have to be the technique for pretty much anything you're going to 3D print, just because the algorithm does not even, as far as I can tell, it does not even attempt to make sure that things are solid. Got it. That makes sense. Yeah. Hmm. Um, But in the documentation, they also say that you can flip the object over. So Mm. the algorithm should be sophisticated enough that you take your object, flip it, and start taking pictures again. I did that, 
and my shoe distributed itself through the ether and out came a morbius blob of 3d geometry and it looked absolutely nothing like my shoe so i need to watch some more wwdc videos read more about how the algorithm works figure out what was going on because i could not get the sole attached to my shoe likewise i tried to scan my one wheel and couldn't get the bottom of it scanned and that's a, an especially hard one because it has a black bottom with a perfectly diffuse black wheel attached to it which does not reflect the light very much but if like we were saying earlier if if a good scan was important to you you just need to go buy one of those white foam board things or just any you know nice diffuse surface to take your photos upon yeah that makes sense I think it's really cool tech. I'm, I'm also, you know, they only added it to, I guess, do they only add it to iPad and Mac? Is that how that works? No, only Mac, only Mac. Okay. And I kind of see where they're coming from. Uh, it's, it's a heavy algorithm. It doesn't use all the cores for some reason. I, I was expecting it to use all my CPU, but if you give it something like, 30 pictures it takes my m1 mac two to three minutes to process those pictures and i'm almost wondering if it's more of a memory more of a ram limitation um is the reason it didn't make it to ios than a processor thing because we know they put an m1 in an ipad so we know it has roughly the same power as a mac it could do it but i'm there must have been a reason either they didn't want people burning out ios batteries on it or I, most ios devices just didn't have enough ram for it i'm curious which one is the reason yeah that is uh yeah and then they didn't really release a an app on the iphone or ipad to do right. it right it's it's all there are so many confusing levels to this <laughs> and that's why I kind of felt like I wanted to write an app and release it as soon as possible because I have no idea what Apple's what's on Apple's mind over there. So let's say this API is a part of Reality Kit, and also a part of Reality Kit is this beautiful piece of software called Reality Composer, which is not a 3D modeler, more of it's like a really baby game engine. It's, <laughs> it doesn't really have the like physics. In it. Gosh, it does have physics though. Um, what, what do you call this thing? You have a bunch of objects and you can put them together in a scene. It's a scene builder. So they have all this software, but for some reason they chose not to build a UI for this API. And I don't know if that's because they didn't have time for it or because they just made the executive decision that we already have too many random utilities out there and we don't want to get into maintenance of this utility or they don't want to do support of it or something like that. And so they didn't want to release a UI, but I'm just guessing. I, I, I was amazed that they didn't have a UI for it. And that's why I had to write my own. Yeah. And they showed some, like they showed an app that kind of did it, but it wasn't yeah. their app. It was like a third party app. And so it's like, they've, thought about it kind of or wanted to i don't know yeah i mean they just in some ways it's great uh we have an api instead of an app you know that's good from a developer that means if you are a store you can do it on uh on your server you can do it in the background you can do it in batch mode 
You could write a script that, you know, runs this on a thousand different files. I want a UI so that I can play around with it and experiment with all of its different options and things like that. Mm -hmm. But if you're a business, you have a million reasons why you would want um, a backend tool, not a front-end tool to do all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So that part I'm excited about. I'm just confused why. Uh, And yeah, during one of the WWDC videos, they actually had their internal UI that they were using. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, so you had that. So just no one wanted to put enough polish on it to release it or no one wanted to support it. Hashtag question mark. I don't know. Hmm. That's weird. You're the PM. You answer that question. There wasn't enough time, Frank. It wasn't enough time. Schedule. Uh, it's always schedule. Yeah, probably schedule, I would assume. And then they come out in the next version or they drop it somewhere else. Or they just wanted to open up for innovation. They didn't want to say, you know, Sherlock everybody, I guess. But uh, it is odd. I think it's, a, it's it seems like the two go together seamlessly. But that maybe they figured, hey, you have a camera. That's good enough. You'll figure it out. Y'all smart. Yeah. I, I mean, I actually appreciate that the capture part, the photography part is separate from the modeling part, because now you can go use any camera you want. You can go use your fancy D- DSLR and things True. like that True. to take really high quality photography. Yeah, maybe that's why they thought about it is like they 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 wanted to make sure people know that it's separate completely and so separate that they don't even give you an app to do it. So like, here you go. Uh, what else you want to talk about this stuff that's it that's all i got i'm just excited because this has been such a little niche thing and now it's it's in the os you know it's there we can rely on it for what at least 10 years (laughs) we'll have photogrammetry services at our avail let's talk about one more thing the new experimental.net repl have you seen this Frank? No. Is there a new one? We had a C-sharp REPL, I thought. Uh, we do, no? but this is the new .NET REPL built on .NET Interactive, which powers Try.NET and .NET Notebooks. This is a project that I just stumbled upon from John Sakira, who works on that team. And it's a C-sharp and F-sharp REPL. And I think it's powered by Spectre Council. Oh, okay. So yeah, it does have F sharp. So I, I was holding back there because I was like, well, they're not going to support F sharp, so I don't care. But no, they do support F sharp. Bravo, bravo. Uh, yeah, it's command line. It's rendered in ASCII. It's got lots of colors. It has magic keys to do lots of kind of fun things. That's neat. No, I didn't know about this one. How did, how did this come across your radar? Uh, Hanselman told me, I think he wrote a blog post about it. So he, uh-huh. he told me today about it. And then I was like, oh, let me just go find John's, uh, John's. it's on his, on his, I'll put it in the show notes. It's on his, uh, on this is cool. You know, there's a few cool things about this is that there's like a, you can switch between C sharp and F sharp, like in real time. And then, uh, there's a bunch of these magic commands. So you can, uh, do things like bring in NuGet packages. There's, uh, sharing variables like between sub kernels or something like that. There's a bunch of these commands that you can do. Uh, there's a SQL kernel. It looks like there's a bunch of things I'm looking at the, you know, that, 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 that thing right in there, it says, you know, here's a bunch mm-hmm. of the commands and yeah, you can do multi-line, uh, just by holding shift enter to do multi-lines before executing the code. And you can also like execute in 
run a .NET notebook as a script. So if you have a IPYNB or a DIB file, you can run that and load it up. So you can almost use it as a scripting uh, tool too, which is, is, is quite cool. That that's actually really nice because uh, it, I I actually really love notebooks, mm-hmm. and so if you have a Jupyter notebook, there is a command you can run at the command line. That's something like in the old software, the two operations were called tangle and weave. What mm-hmm. ta- weave would give you source code out, tangle ah that's what it was. Tangle gave you source code out, weave gave you nice documentation out. Anyway. Long story short, you would have to run a command. It would generate a file. You'd have to compile that file, then run the file. So this sounds much nicer than going through that three-step process. Great. Oh, yeah. And it's just a .NET global tool. Like, I literally just installed it right now. I love .NET global tools. So Aren't good. they great? So I good. know. I'm, I'm going to start, like, writing them and charging in them. I just have to find a way to, like, charge people for a .NET global tool. <laughs> Because NuGet won't give me a store, so I'll have to build a store into all my .NET global tools. Yeah, you got to do that. Yeah, so I'm doing this. You just do .NET, you do .NET REPL, and then you do .NET REPL, and then you set the default kernel to C sharp, I think. And then oh, I spelled kernel wrong. Kernel. <laughs> kernel. And then you can just start typing stuff. Fancy dancy. I mean, they even imported image sharp. That's pretty great. They did. Yeah. That's pretty cool. They and they ran- have like an ANSI console renderer thing. <laughs> I don't know. It, it it seems pretty cool. So anyways, just wanted to throw that out there. I, know, I figured you hadn't seen it yet. So boom. No, I love it. I love it. <laughs> Anything that brings me back to my uh, QBasic days. Hmm. That's, uh, yeah, you, you did a much better job pronouncing his last name than I would have. John? Yeah, John. Yeah. Sakira. Let's go with that. Yeah, that's what I'm going to go with. In the show notes. I speak with John all the time. I spoke with John for years because I've been using the Tridentnet stuff for so long. Anyways, I'll put this mm-hmm. in the show notes. You, everyone should check it out. Give it a look. Um, yeah, Donna Ruppel. Give it a look. All right, cool. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. That's going to do it for this week's podcast until next time i'm james montemagno and i'm frank krueger thanks for listening peace